Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Mornings with Carmen on this Friday. Um, I want to highlight a story for you that I did not get to with Dan DeWitt in the second half of the last hour. Uh, Again, commend to you the Weekend Worldview Reader, where lots of stuff is aggregated uh, aggregated there so that we can, you know, be mindful of what's being talked about across the country and in the church and gain the perspective of some, you know, some faithful writers on on each and all of those topics. So um, who gets to define who is and isn't something? So this question was actually raised by a listener who argued at length in an email to me that Joe Biden is not a Catholic and I should stop referring to him as Catholic. And so um, I appreciate that um, that those uh, who are Roman Catholic want to uh, uphold and defend the parameters of what it means to be Roman Catholic. But as soon as we do that, um, we're going to ask the broader question when someone identifies as Catholic or someone identifies as married, um, because another listener has argued that I should stop using the word marriage in reference to people who are in same-sex marriages, even though they are, in fact, legally in the United States of America married. Um, So it gets to the, the question of who gets to define who is and isn't something? Who gets to define um, who is and isn't a Christian? Well, okay, that ultimately is up to the judgment of God, right? But who gets to decide who is and isn't uh, a part of or an expression of, a legitimate expression of some group or representation today? And yes, this gets down to the conversation or question about all of the things that we might self-identify as or with. So um, I identify as a Christian. Well, how do you feel about that word? How are you defining that word? If I'm not the mem- if I'm not the member of the right kind of denomination, I mean, I remember growing up uh, having, well, I won't identify them, having people in my life who, because we went to a United Methodist Church, and then later I became a Presbyterian, and I've now shared with you that I'm now a Southern Baptist. I mean, in 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 every case, I mean, I got other people in my life who are saying, well, you're not a real Christian because you don't go to, to X Y Z church. You are not in this fellowship. You are not right before God. You know, in one case, I had a friend who said, because I didn't speak in tongues, I was not a Christian. So where are we drawing those lines and what puts us in a position to draw those lines? And so let me say that I'm not suggesting that we fail to be people of good judgment. We are called to be people of good judgment. We are called to apply the mind of Christ to the matters of the day. We are called to cultivate the mind of Christ by saturating our lives with the Scriptures, soaking in the Word of God in order that we might respond um, in godly ways to the questions and concerns that are raised uh, around us and in the culture today. So there's a story out of Kentucky that you should read. Um, Kentucky has become the first state to recognize 
uh, a definition, a legal definition of anti-Semitism. But guess what? As soon as they did that, there were other Jews who said, that's not what it means to be anti-Semitic. So one group of Jews has said, this is what it means to be anti-Semitic, which you feel like Jews ought to be the ones making up the definition, right? Like that seems legit. But there are some Jews who hate Israel, and so they don't want anti-Semitism to include references uh, to to actions related to the state of Israel, because after all, they hate Israel and they're Jewish. And so how could they possibly be functioning in an anti-Semitic way in their hatred of Israel when they're Jewish? Well, that's a good question. And within Judaism, they need to figure that out. That's not something for a, a person or people outside of Judaism to figure out. But you see the challenge, right? And so there are lots of people who identify as certain things today that other people in the same group would say, now that's not a. And so for those of you who are Roman Catholic and you're saying Joe Biden's not a real Catholic, that's okay for you to say because you're Catholic. It's not okay for me to say because I'm not Catholic and I'm not drawing the lines of Catholicism. Do I recognize that Joe Biden has views and is certainly advocating policies and putting forth representatives uh, in his in his administration who are patently anti-life, yes, pro-death, yes, pro-abortion, yes, pro-euthanasia, yes, pro-sexual uh, uh, confusion, yes. I, I get all of that. I also get that he's a politician, and I get that he made promises, political promises, that he's now keeping. So I get it. Um, we had the same conversation when President Trump identified as a Christian. And some of you, you know, got in a hot mess on both sides of that. And here's the reality. None of us is in a position to judge the heart of another human being. We are in a position to judge their actions and their words. And so let's be people who are able to um, say these actions and these words, these positions are contrary to the position of the Roman Catholic Church. And therefore, it is very difficult for me to understand how a person espousing and advocating such things could be a Roman Catholic. That's a legitimate conversation. There you go. All right. Hopefully that equips you for some conversations today. Adam Holtz is up next, uh, among other things, for those of you wondering, yes, he's going to clean up the hot mess of the Grammys. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Speaking to us now from inside of his hazmat suit, Adam <laughs> Holtz from Focus on the Family's Plugged In, here to clean up the mess of the Grammys, among other things. Man, so instead of starting were... with reviews, let's start with the cleanup of the Grammys, because apparently that's on ha- listeners' hearts and minds today. I guess it is. And, and I was just going to say, nobody tells you how hot it is inside these suits. You get really sweaty. Because <laughs> they're plastic, you know? <laughs> oh, the Grammys. I mean... Honestly, what is there to say about them other than it was largely a hot mess? And, of course, I think most people, when they're talking about that, are probably referring to Cardi B and Megan The Stallion's performance of the song WAP, uh, which is an acronym for something so foul and nasty, I don't even practically have words for it. No, we're not saying it. it. No. No, no, I'm certainly not saying it. But... Um, it, it begs a conversation about where is the line between 
uh, art and pornography. And obviously it's been famously said, I can't define pornography, but I know it when I see it. And I think there are a lot of concerned families out there that would say that the lyrics here and, and possibly even the performance that happened on the Grammys uh, is in the neighborhood of that definition, even if we can't give one specifically. Um, but I, I think, uh, wow, I could actually, we could talk for half an hour about that song and the pornification of pop music, uh, but I will stop and take a breath there, Carmen. Yeah, okay, so out of the hazmat suit, and let's now do... Um Let's stick with let's stick on this side, and then when we come back from the break, we'll do reviews for the week. Let's talk about Oscar okay. nom, Oscar nominations because that's up as well, and you've got a um, you've got a post about that at pluggedin.com. Yeah, you know the Oscar nominations are often an exercise in artistic obscurity, but in 2020, when nobody saw any movies and all the blockbusters got pushed back till this year, sometime it's even more so. I mean, it's a list of pictures that the vast majority of people will not have even heard of, let alone seen. Uh, and those nominees are The Father, Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, Minari, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the, of the Chicago 7. Of those, two of them are PG-13. Uh, and those are The Father and Minari. And we've touched on those a little bit, but I'll just say again, they're both terrific movies in really different ways. The Father is about dementia, and it stars Anthony Hopkins uh, as a man slipping into that state. And his daughter is played by Olivia Coleman, and she's trying to help him navigate that path while navigating it herself. It's a very hard movie, but I think a, a really important movie. And Minari is about a Korean-American family that moves from California to Arkansas, and actually they're first-generation immigrants. They've been living in California, so maybe I should just call them Koreans. He wants to start a farm, and it really is a movie about the American dream told from the perspective of Korean immigrants. Uh, another film that I think has some fantastic things to say about family, about faith, uh, and of, of that list, that would be the one I would say is the most worth your time. And the rest of them dabble in all sorts of cultural issues from racism to feminism. Uh, there's a lot of historical stuff, especially in Judas and the Black Messiah and the trial of the Chicago 7 um, that I think certain people could watch and say, yeah, there might be another perspective here other than the one these movies are presenting. All right, I'm talking with Adam Holtz from Focus on the Family's Plugged In. We're going to direct you to PluggedIn.com, and when we come back from a very brief break, we're going to talk about reviews. We're going to lead off with Zack Snyder's Justice League. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, I'm continuing my conversation with Adam Holtz from Focus on the Family's Plugged In. Uh, part of the reason that we do movie reviews is to help you make good decisions about what you will or will not watch. And part of that is cultivating good judgment. So, Adam, I know you have a couple of comments to make on the judgments conversation that I led off with before you came on. Yeah, you know, we often hear people quote Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount, you know, that we, we do it with the King James, judge not lest the, you be judged. Um, but... We rarely hear anybody quote John 7, 24, in which Jesus says, stop judging by mere appearances, 
but instead judge correctly. And I think another version says, instead make a right judgment. And so Jesus commands us to look at things and to look with complexity and nuance. And when we're making a judgment, we're not making a judgment in terms of condemnation, which that is a role that God alone fulfills. It's not my job to condemn people, but it is my job as a Christian to compare what I see to truth, to to revealed scripture and say, okay, what do I do, if anything, with the gap that is there? And that certainly is the perspective that we're wanting to bring to everything we do at Plugged In. No, I appreciate that. Let's talk about um, some reviews that are posted right now. Let's talk about Zack Snyder's Justice League. What do we need to know? This is a, a more complicated story than usual. If you're thinking Justice League, didn't that come out like four years ago? Yep, mm-hmm. it did. Came out in 2017. Zack Snyder was the original director and his daughter died about halfway through the production. And he stepped aside and Joss Whedon, who directed The Avengers, finished it. Well, fans hated it. Critics hated it. It was pretty much universally panned, really. And there was this idea that Zack Snyder still had a cut on his computer. And due to a lot of internet and fan pressure, he actually began to talk with Warner Brothers. And now they have released this essentially a director's cut or a recut of the movie. And it's streaming on HBO Max. And here's what you need to know. It's four hours long instead of two hours long. There are two really big bad guys instead of one. And it's gone from being a PG-13 movie to an R-rated movie. Now, as R-rated movies go, it's not a crazy hard R, but there is certainly enough profanity and graphic violence here to earn that R rating. And if you're not paying attention on this one and you happen to have HBO Max and are streaming it, I'm telling you what, you're in for a surprise because it is a dark, grim movie. All right. And then um, do we want to talk? You know what? I would love to pivot away from um, reviews, if that's okay with you, because I think the parental control stuff that you've got posted right now at PluggedIn.com on the blog, there there are a number of things posted. If you're listening right now, a number of things posted at PluggedIn.com on the topic of parental controls. So um, you deal with it in this week's episode um, of the Plugged In show. But talk with us a little bit about parental controls um, and maybe just where to get started. Yeah. Well, and I I think that parental controls are a subject that um, it's kind of self-sorting. I think there are the, there's a small percentage of nerdy uh, tech happy parents. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way. There are certain people who are like, Oh, I want to master this and I want to use it in my family. And they know how to do all that stuff. I don't think that's most parents. I think for most of us, we know that there are parental controls on our iPods and iPads and our smart TVs and on our apps. Almost everything has a parental control, but a lot of us have been too intimidated to figure out how to use them. And so with getting started with parental controls, it really is just taking that first step and saying, okay, I can do this. And we, we have a blog up on how to do it with Netflix Netflix is really simple. It'll take you about five minutes. And I think taking that first step gives us confidence to then say, oh, I could probably do this with my other devices and my other apps. And we can begin to use a feature that will help us protect our kids from nasty content out there. And the flip side of this, for those who love parental controls, is you've still got to be engaged 
and you've still got to be practicing discernment, that that is not the only part of the job as parents is protecting our kids from the nasty stuff. Because as you know, Carmen, there are still tons of worldview things out there that can affect us, even if they're not explicit. So we got to have both sides of that coin. And that's really what we talk about in that episode of the Plugged In Show. Uh, And we're going to, as we move forward, we're going to be posting a series of blogs and videos on how you can use these parental controls in your home. So let me tee up something for you. Um, I think that out of the uh, horrific story that is still unfolding in Atlanta in relationship to this young man, um, one of the the people from whom we have heard in the conversation already is a person who was his roommate in a residential treatment facility. And that person has talked about um, how uh, how hard this individual tried to avoid pornography. Um, He did not even have a smartphone. He, um, you know, he had every control that he could find, um, you know, in terms of his online, you know, trying to be on. It's hard to live offline. Right. And so if you're going to be online, you know, he tried very, very hard to protect himself against pornography, but it just kept pressing itself in. um, And and that is going to be a part of the thread and the storyline. And so maybe um, you guys could be thinking in advance of, of how to help parents address that question, because that's going to come up in this larger conversation about Atlanta. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think the question of pornography is a huge one, because uh, it's really not a question of uh, if, but when, when it comes to our kids. And I think that we need a really multi-pronged strategy. There's one that we're utilizing the tools that enable us to, to have perfect uh, protection but we've got to be having a bigger picture conversation about sexuality with our kids as well. And if they are prone to weakness in that area, cultivating a relationship that's not based on shame, but that's based on forgiveness and grace so that we keep the communication doors open as opposed to having somebody silently living in shame, because that's what pornography does to you, among other things, is you know, at some level we intrinsically know there's something disordered about this. And uh, you don't want to talk about that. And so as parents, we've got to help our kids um, be able to have a conversation without them feeling like we're putting them in a prison of shame. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. That is exactly right. Adam, um, as always, thank you so much. Uh, that's Adam Holtz from Focus on the Families Plugged In. You can find much of what we talked about today at PluggedIn.com. We've got to take a break for Breakpoint, and then we'll be right back. All right. Have you got a problem with Jesus? Have you got a problem with people who've got a problem with Jesus? Jesus is a problem. We're going to talk about the problem of Jesus up next with Mark Clark, pastor and author. He comes to us from the future. Yeah, we'll explain that as well. That's up next. You're on Mornings with Carmen. All righty. So we want to invite you in to our reading through the Gospel of Mark. Today's the last day uh, that you can sign up because we actually start this Mark reading plan tomorrow on March the 20th. So read through the Gospel of Mark with us. We're going to read a chapter a day. We're going to start tomorrow. You can join us by signing up for free online at myfaithradio.com. 
Uh, when you opt in, we're going to send you a Bible reading bookmark. You're going to be entered to win a copy of Alistair Begg's Gospel of Mark sermon series from Truth for Life, all kinds of goodies. So go ahead, uh, let us know that you're reading with us, and by all means, read with us starting tomorrow on March 20th. We're going to begin our March reading of Mark. There you go. The Gospel of Mark reading in March starts tomorrow. Hey, uh, up next, Mark Clark with the problem of Jesus. This is Max Licato. In the days when I was a missionary in Brazil, I once went to visit one of our church leaders. We hadn't seen him for several Sundays. Friends told me he had inherited $300 and he was constructing by hand a one-room house. When he gave me a tour of the project, it took about 20 seconds. I told him we'd missed him, that the church needed him back. He grew quiet and turned and looked at his house. His eyes were moist. You're right, Max, he confessed. I guess I got just too greedy. Greedy, I wanted to say. You're building a hut in a swamp and you call it greed? But he was right. Greed is relative. Greed is not defined by what something costs. It is measured by what it costs you. If anything costs you your family or your faith, the price is too high. This is Max Locato. fun to have Mark Clark with us today. Um, you can find him really kind of all over the place. I'm going to recommend you go to thisisvillagechurch.com. Thisisvillagechurch.com, where he is the pastor, and you can connect with him there. Mark, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. So um, we are going to talk about your book, The Problem of Jesus, Answering a Skeptic's Challenges to the Scandal of Jesus. But I want to start with um, a different question, and that is digital church or church online. Um, this is something that you guys uh, were already engaged in before COVID, and it's really grown during COVID. Give some people some encouragement just about engaging engaging like real worshipers, real people through a digital medium. Right. Yeah, I mean, in Canada, things are a little bit, uh, I'm in Vancouver, and so we've been, uh, and we rent all of our facilities. So we started out as a church, about 16 people meeting in elementary school 10 years ago, and it's grown out to a bunch of sites and all video stuff, and we rent all of our spaces. We don't even have a building. So we had, they, we were forced to go online. We were already going there, but uh, yeah, because we rent schools and the, the movie theaters, everything was shut down. So our people migrated online and uh, and we just kind of changed our mentality because everyone you want to reach is online. And so this isn't, uh, you know, we wanted to leverage it as an evangelistic opportunity and be able to say, okay, let's speak to people who are sitting in their homes um, for a variety of reasons. And so we, we adapted some stuff, the way we shoot the worship, the way that I preach is, you know, focused right on the camera. I'm not like speaking to a crowd because in our thinking, it was like switching almost to like a Netflix mentality versus just, hey, you know, let's let Mark speak to a crowd and then post that online. Well, most people are like, okay, well, he's just, that's that, and this is a different medium. So how do you adapt the medium where you're actually focused on teaching, preaching, uh, worship that's more set up for people sitting in their living rooms or watching on their phones or whatever? And so, yeah, we've seen lots of people 
um, connected to our church, actually become members, even though they might be in Minnesota or Wisconsin or Nashville or wherever. And they're like, hey, we actually want to become part of this. We want to go to your community groups. We want to start giving. We want to become a member, you know, take your alpha courses, whatever. So it's been uh, pretty cool to see the expansion. Yeah, I really think you're doing it well. And I want people to um, be able to check it out. Maybe there are things there. If you're a pastor or a um, a leader in another congregation, there's some things that mm-hmm. you could be learning. This is villagechurch.com. All right, Mark, let's uh, let's talk about this brand new book, The Problem of Jesus, Answering yeah. a Skeptic's Challenges to the Scandal of Jesus. Um, I think I want to start here. Jesus is always the issue. Like, I don't really care what the issue is that somebody has or, you know, what they're upset about. Underneath it, Jesus <laughs> is the issue. So I feel like the soil that you're tilling is kind of apologetics for a post-Christian or post-modern. Um, I, you use the word skeptics, but I find myself wondering, are they really skeptical of Jesus, the real Jesus, or are they just skeptical right. because of the way we've misrepresented him? Right. Yeah, and that's kind of what the book's trying to clear away. On the one hand, there are legit skeptics that are like, hey— you know, I meet them in the cities of Vancouver is a very post-Christian city. You know, Canada is a pretty post, uh, you know, we're probably a generation ahead of the U.S. in regard to secularization in Canada. And so when I get to speak in the States, I like to say, I'm coming to you from the future. <laughs> you know, let me tell you, let me tell you, you know, I'm a time traveler who's telling you where your country is going to go. And so how do you actually, you know, follow Jesus in a culture like that is, a, you know, some of it is this uh, – there are skeptics that I talk to that are like, Jesus didn't exist, or you know, the Gospels aren't legitimate. They're all legends and mythology and stories that were just made up by the early church. They created a religion. So we got to deal with that question because there's legitimate skepticism there, and uh, the book talks about that. But then you're right. There's this – other version, which is like, hey, I'm rejecting Christianity based on, you know, Christians, basically, the hypocrisy of the church or, you know, whatever. And so the book really kind of goes, hey, what was, let's clear all that away. Let's focus on Jesus. What was he actually about? Who was he? What was his message? What was his discipleship? Did he do miracles? What were his parables about? You know, all of these things that are kind of, I want people to be scandalized, like you're saying, by Jesus, not people who are doing their best or not their best to follow him and and bumbling it. And I see it kind of a generation of people who might be leaving the church or walking away from Christianity because, and they're rejecting it based on a a bad version of it. And so this Mm -hmm. book kind of goes, okay, no, this is actually what Jesus was all about. And if you want to reject him, you know, there was two kinds of people in the gospels. There was the people who loved Jesus and worshiped him. And then the people who wanted to kill him and throw him off a cliff you you rarely find like that middle, you know, I like Jesus. Jesus is my homeboy t-shirt, you know, he's a good guy, he's a good leader, but I'm not going to give my life to him. That, that, that isn't really in the Gospels, and so you got to kind of be scandalized by this decision because, you know, if Jesus – I have a whole chapter in the book where Jesus is talking about himself being God. If he actually claimed that, then, of course, he's not really – and he's not God, then he's not a good teacher. You know, he's not a good leader. Exactly. He's not a good guy. He's basically, you know, led a billion people astray. So you got to kind of let that scandal say, oh, what am I going to actually do with Jesus? And then that's going to shape everything about your life. So, Mark, we got to take a very brief break. When we come back, I I would like for you to address the challenge. I'm going to use the word challenge. The challenge that many churches seem to have, and actually many sort of religiously Christian people seem to have, that, that they want to, like— 
water it down to the point that, well, you know, you just bring Jesus along with whatever else you're already doing. You know, it's okay to be like vaguely sure. spiritual. We're not asking a lot. We're not sure. asking, you know, just come to church. Like, that's all we're asking. And right. you really, you really tear the roof off that. Um, and and so I want to talk about that when we come back. I'm talking with Mark Clark. We are talking about his brand new book, The Problem of Jesus, Answering a Skeptic's Challenges to the Scandal of Jesus. We'll be right back. All right, picking right up where we left off with Mark Clark. Um, Mark, deal with that. Deal with that question. You know, what what if I really want to reach a Gen Z person? Um, you know, I just I just want to like I don't want to ask too much of them, right? Right. I have found um, in our church that when you raise the like Jesus, when you raise the bar, you know, I have a whole chapter in the book on on the problem of discipleship, and so Jesus comes along. He says, you know, deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow me. Well, that's not like He's not a salesman trying to just get you to do easy things. He's raising the bar. And I have found that when you raise the bar, Gen Z wants to follow because they're looking for something to give their life to. It's not until you get older and you get a mortgage that you got stuff to lose. And so Jesus comes along and goes, let me give you a paradigm. You know, 269 times the word disciple is used in the New Testament. Three times the word Christian is used. So disciple, follower, learner apprentice of Jesus is really the paradigm. And so it's like, but what does that mean? Does that mean you could just have a a version of your, you know, I believe in this about Jesus. I believe he's a deity. I believe this theology on, you know, whatever, but then live your life exactly the same as your neighbor. You watch just as much, you know, Netflix, you shop the same, you look the same, you, you talk the same, you live exactly the same. Is that actually the paradigm of, of Christian discipleship? Or is that kind of a domesticated version of kind of what we've done with it? And so I think he raises the bar. He says, I want to give you something to die for. And I think many of us have nothing to die for, nothing to live for. We're we're trusting in beauty and money and success and relationships and and all of that stuff is going to let you down. It's going to crush you. And so Jesus is trying to save us from that kind of life by actually going, you need to deny yourself. It's not like deny yourself just to deny yourself, it's actually the best thing for you. It's the only way you're going to be truly human. All right. Um, the book is excellent. Uh, the Problem of Jesus. You guys should okay. check it out. Um, I have um, a couple of other questions, though, for you, Mark, that are might seem a little off topic. Okay. So because I heard you in a podcast recently say that um, pastors are not epidemiologists, and I thought to myself, you know, that's true. And... Um, <laughs> And so can you just address some of the expectations that maybe generationally religious people, like we've come to expect certain things, and then we have added layers and layers and layers upon those expectations of what we expect pastors to be and do? Can you just address that topic? Yeah, yeah. I think I think the Bible elevates leaders um, and, and, and makes sure that, hey, leadership's important. But I think what we've done is we've create an idol out of leadership where we can, in a way, not necessarily be the church, you know, Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, where so, you know, the pastor's job to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Imagine a whole church full of missionaries who are leading people to Jesus at, you know, 4 p.m. on a Wednesday in their living room versus bringing them to the 9 and 11 service, like the church actually being the church in the world. And because we haven't done that, we've elevated leaders 
to basically make all these decisions for us. And we've put all kinds of weight on them. And what's happened in this moment is, and sometimes these pressures can be a good corrective for leaders, but in this moment, I think the church is looking to pastors who, most of whom are just trying to like love people, tell people about Jesus, teach the Bible, lead well, make good decisions. And in this you know, COVID moment, there's been this huge pressure to make you know, I'll get emails where it's like the first email will be, you know, why aren't we opening? Why are you just listening to the, you know, government, you know, all this kind of stuff. And the next email will be, you know, hey, I'm a doctor. I'm a nurse. We got to be careful here. Let's make sure we're loving our culture, loving our neighbor and not just getting together for the sake of it. And so we've had to make all these decisions about what's best for the church. And we're doing our best. Uh, but it's not the reason people, most pastors got into this job and they're, they're trying to read the data just like everybody else. So just have grace, uh, be calm, take a breath. They're trying to lead well. And I, and I think, you know, a year from now, two years from now, we're going to look back at this moment and go, okay, was I, you know, was I a little harsh? You know, did I lack grace? Cause it's truth and grace. And, and most pastors are trying to make, you know, decisions for the good of their neighbor who haven't met Jesus yet, not just the people who want to come to church. You know, how do you actually love the people who aren't there yet and have a good witness toward them and being able to, you know, read the room in a sense, right? So I think there's a lot of pressure on pastors right now uh, to make decisions that they feel out of their, you know, uh, out of their kind of weight class and they're trying to figure out. So just have grace. All right. I'm going to encourage you if you're listening right now to, Send your pastor a note, give him a call, text yeah. message, whatever, and just say, hey, I am praying for you. Um, God's grace is sufficient for you as well. Um, how can I yeah. help? Uh, you know, just just be of that. encouragement to your pastor. Yeah. I just I feel like that's a, a real need right now. Um, all right, Mark, one more um, question before we let you go. Um, you have alluded to a number of things about sort of the way you guys are doing church that is just going to be so different than the way a lot of people have experienced church. So for them, it is a building. It does have a mortgage. There is upkeep. Um, there, you know, there is a, uh, it, it is not tabernacling around town and it's certainly not tabernacling on the internet. You are, um, you're doing it a little bit differently, but I think you're doing it in a way that's obviously um, reaching the generation of of people who are, otherwise unreached by much of the church. And I guess I'm wondering if there's an encouragement there um, for folks who've kind of always done it one way to just sort of get unstuck and try something new. Yeah, I think I think what happens is leaders get caught in these um, these kind of Christian conversations, in-house conversation. You know, I've been on the stage at conferences where we were doing video years ago, most of our services were video and I would end up only preaching live at one service. And there was like, I think 10 services across four to five different sites at that time. And the rest of them were video. And I was on stage with a guy who's saying, this isn't biblical. This isn't God. And I'm sitting there I'm like, dude, I'm right here. I can hear you. you know, and, <laughs> and, 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 you know, one of the things that I think people forget is, you know, um, this is the, t- this is the end of the spear. This is, this is evangelism. So don't, Yes, of course, we want to be incarnational and be in the flesh and, you know, be with each other and love and, you know, do all of those things. Yes, yes, yes. But there are versions of evangelism that you're leaving off, you know, on the table 
um, if you're if you're not using technology to be able to accomplish these tasks. So whether you see it as good ecclesiology or you know good way to you know organize Christians in the church, I don't know. That's a great debate. But at least the least we can say is it's a good way to reach new people who would never. They're not going to as much as Christians think. People are going to come into their church building because they put a fresh new sign on it and change their name to some non-denominational name and cut the grass. They ain't doing that. So you got to do something else. And so this is the way to do it, to be able to engage them with technology, engage them, showing them. And this is very important, I think. Um, We live in a generation of very curious people and very educated, smart people, even if they're just educated by the internet, which is scary. And the idea that you need to be sharing Christianity as the best idea in the marketplace of ideas and drawing Amen. people into that. And that's, uh, you know, that's what we try to do each and every week by teaching the Bible and yet doing apologetics, being able to show people, hey, we're in the cultural conversation too. And, you know, here's something to think about, question your questions, doubt your doubts. You know, Jesus is the true answer. All right. Uh, the Problem of God was the 2018 book. The 2021 book is The Problem of Jesus, Answering a Skeptic's Challenges to the Scandal of Jesus. The author is Mark Clark. I'm going to encourage you to find him at thisisvillagechurch.com. Thisisvillagechurch.com. Mark, what a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. All right, friends, we'll be right back. All right, let's let's bring our pastors into mind right now. Let's bring the leaders of our churches into mind. Let's bring churches in our communities and in our cities to mind. Let's bring into mind those pastors and churches and communities that we know have recently been uh, uh, affected by <clears throat> traumas of various kinds. I'm thinking right now about churches in the Twin Cities and pastors of churches in the Twin Cities as conversations continue um, about the the Derek Chauvin trial and potentially a change of venue. I'm thinking about uh, churches in the Atlanta area um, and churches across the country who who are reaching out today to Asian Americans. I'm thinking today about pastors who are trying to answer very difficult questions about uh, the pornification of culture and sexual addiction and uh, and an epidemic and vaccines. And they are thinking to themselves, I need to get a sermon put together for Sunday morning, um, and I need to visit my people and shepherd my sheep, and the concerns are many and the needs are great. Let us be praying today for our pastors. Let us not expect them to be politicians or epidemiologists. Let us expect them to be shepherds, under shepherds, uh, with the heart of Jesus, people of faith who faithfully open to us the Word of God and open with us the Word of God and help us do fruit inspections in our own lives. Hey, I mean, as soon as our eye turns toward another um, trying to inspect their fruit, let's look in the mirror and expect our own fruit. Yes, it is true that by our fruit, we will know them. Maybe we need a little help from our pastor doing a fruit inspection in our own lives today. So let's be praying for pastors today. Um, I am praying by name for my pastor, Scott. Uh, other pastors who serve 
my church, the church that I attend, I am so thankful for Justin and Jason. I am so thankful um, for Brad. I am thankful for Bill. I'm thankful for the people who serve in the congregation where I worship. Um, Lift them up by name today. Pray for your church. Pray for your pastor. Pray for pastors in your city, churches seeking uh, the good and the welfare of the city where you live. I will do the same. And then let's see what God does. God promises to work through the agency of the church in the world today. It is the very bride of Christ. He intends uh, her to be presented pure and blameless to his son, our Savior Jesus. Um, That is the day toward which we look, and it's the seat at that table um, that I I am so thankful that I have a place card, and so do you. All right, have a great weekend, and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.